You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Good news everybody! Native forest logging is to be phased out by 2024 according to a new Victorian law. But before we break out the fireworks and champagne, let's take a moment to consider whether this is something that will actually bring a net benefit to the world, or if it's just another bit of greenwashing. Paul Reed is a forester and timber expert in Victoria, and in this episode I pick his brains to figure out exactly what this means for the availability of high quality timber, and what sort of environmental outcomes we can hope to achieve, if any. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's just get straight into it. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So look, you're not actually in the native logging sector, but you are a forester. Can you tell us a little bit about your role? Yeah, so I'm in uh, pine plantation harvesting. Um, I work for a company called Oztimber and based out of Gippsland. It's uh, my father's part owner of the company. And um, I used to work down in Gippsland um, sort of under him, but then now I'm running the show up in the northeast region um, and I look after three crews up here harvesting pine plantations for HVP. And um, we've got three crews up here now. Started off with one crew in 2020, start of 2020. And, um, yeah, we've developed into three crews now, which has been really great. Great, great success up here. Um, Mm. Yeah. So you'd be one of the good guys then? Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Depends who you ask. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are for plantation harvesting and there's a lot of people who are just against plantation harvesting and native harvesting as well. Um, but it's definitely a very sustainable practice of uh, getting timber resource and without the uh, without plantation harvesting, now with the shutdown of native harvesting, we're going to really struggle. Um, you know, not all our wood comes from plantation harvesting and and we are, you know, plantations burned down in wildfires. Um, we saw that in 2020. We had a lot of estate get wiped out by the black summer bushfires and that's had a massive impact on um, keeping the mills, keeping the demand of timber afloat um we had some prime plantations in the chalet area Coryong area uh northern northeast victoria and that all burnt and it was all mature age or majority of it was mature age timber ready to be turned into structural timber for housing and some of it did get um recovered for that for that purpose but majority of it got wiped out and you know yeah well i don't know how to explain it anymore like we need we need there needs to be a mix of both there needs to be a mix of the native harvesting and there needs to be a mix of the plantation harvesting absolutely so there's so much nuance here and i'm going to ask you some questions just to sort of nut out everything that you've said there because there's so much to unpack Native forest logging is to be phased out now by 2024, according to a new Victorian law. So, look, there's there's just so much to unpack. Can you tell us 
let's start with like why do some people want like why do some people think this is a good thing? Well, a lot of people um, are saying that native logging is bad for the environment. They're saying that it's bad for the um, the native species of flora and fauna, um, which is simply not true. The native logging is not done. They, they don't harvest virgin ground, and I want to make that really clear. They don't go into new coops that haven't been logged before. They are all harvesting coops that have been their their grandfathers, their, their fathers, their grandfathers, great grandfathers. They've all worked in this same patch of land, and it's not a big patch of land either, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, Vic, well, Vic, Victoria's native forests are protected. Ninety four percent is protected and cannot be harvested. So that leaves 6% of Victorians' uh, native forests that can be harvested in in state parks. And out of that, it's like 0.3% gets harvested every year. So 0.3% of, of uh, Victorian native forests are harvested every year. It's not a great, it's not a, that's not a heap, and it's all regenerated. Um what do we get out of that 0.3%? What do we get out of that small amount of area that's been harvested? We get fire breaks put in. Um, when mm. there's a big bushfire, we have the the crews are there. They're the ones that are out there fighting the fire, putting in breaks, protecting the other the rest of the native forest. We get some of the world's best timber. Like it's not just Australia's best timber. It's some of the, it's world class mm. timber that is grown in Victoria. We've got the perfect conditions for growing some of these beautiful native species. Um, the, you know, um, where where it's all regrown. So Vic Forest actually regrows everything that they harvest, whether it be by planting or regeneration. Um, everything is regrown for further, for, you know, the further years to be, uh, to be harvested. Um, animals that are, you know, somewhat endangered, a lot of the activists are saying, oh, these animals are endangered. They seem to find them all in these logging coops. So how endangered are they actually? Interesting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that's funny. So you talk about the logging coops, which are where these animals are found. So why is that? Is that because that's where we're looking? Is that because of the efforts that the logging community are putting up? Or why is that? No, it's, it's definitely that's where they're looking. That, that's where they're. That's where all these people's focuses are. They're saying, "Oh, there's logging machines. Let's look in that area for animals." And you know, they um, they say that um, logging, you know, kills animals and animals are harmed. There's so many surveys put out before that, like they survey the land and they make sure that the land is free of animals. Now, you can't make that. That can't be a hundred percent guarantee. You can't say. Uh, we're going to work this, you know, 10, 15 hectare piece of land. We've checked it today. There's no animals there. You can't say that no animals are going to come in. Like we're talking about the forest. Mm. But when these people see the, when these people see animals, they cease work. They stop, they stop working. They, you know, they might relocate. They might have a, a tree there that an animal's in and they'll go and work around that tree. They won't fall that tree. They'll leave a lot of habitat trees within the stand. Um, mm-hmm. so they're, you know, the workers are really trying to protect life. Um, they're not out there with, you know, chainsaws and bulldozers just trying to clear the land. Um, yeah, they, they really do look after the land. They look after the animals. 
um, a lot of the animals were actually have been killed in previous fires. Um, hmm. And, you know, with shutting down the native timber industry, bringing it forwards to by six months, like that's a massive blow to everybody in that industry. And any like it's a massive blow to the timber industry, really. It puts pressure on everybody else in the in the forestry sector. Um, it's just um, these guys thought that they had six years to transition out. So in 2019, they said that there was going to be a phase out in, in uh, 2030 and it was going to phase out into plantation. So th- they were going to magically create <laughs> these plantations within six, uh, 11 years and... Mm. Which a native timber tree for the right quality, you know, you're looking at a minimum of 50 years for it to get to the perfect uh, mm-hmm. size for harvesting, not 11 years. Yeah, 11 year old trees are not big, even in the urban landscape where they've got no competition, blah, blah, blah. An 11 year old tree, it's it's decent, but it's not big enough to make a, a table out of or big enough to go into the construction industry. That's exactly right. And it doesn't. It doesn't have the structural integrity as well. Um, yeah. And uh, so they were going to phase that out by 2030. It was going to maintain, the harvest levels were going to maintain until 2024. 20, then they were going to reduce by 25% in 2025. And then a further 25% reduction from 2026 to 2030. And now, last week, it was announced that 100% phase out by January 2024. And... This is all, you know, the Labor government saying, well, it's because of these court injunctions, they're going to go on too long. So, you know what, we're not going to try and help support the timber industry. We're just going to shut it down. You Mm -hmm. know, how is that supporting the timber industry? I want to have a chat with you about that later, but it really brings up an important point because it sounds great when you read it on a headline, banning native logging, like, oh, my God, amazing. Let's, you know, vote for this party, vote for that party. It sounds awesome. But let's look, dig a little bit deeper, shall we? Because does banning something actually stop our need for it, Paul? Definitely not. Um, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you know, we can use recyclables. Um, we can use recycled paper. We can use recycled <laughs> timber. Well, okay, that's fair enough. You can use recycled paper and, I'm, you know, recycled timber, I'm all for that. You know, that's a, that's a really good idea to minimise waste. But... To reuse paper, well, you need to have the paper there in the first place to be able to reuse it, right? So in the next 10, 15 years, when we're not, like, you know, Australia has stopped creating white copy paper, and that was as of March this year Hmm. because the Australian paper mill in Latrobe Valley has got no supply of native timber to create the white copy paper. They don't have enough supply of of, uh, of the timber to create white copy paper. So they had to shut and down just, that line. Just to cut you off there, sorry, when you say they don't have enough native timber, is that the prime parts of the tree that they're using for paper? Because I think a lot of people would be like, oh, we can't be using you know, native logging for tim- uh, for paper. No, well, absolutely not. The, the prime parts of the timber get used for structural grade timber. They get used for pallets. They get used for building homes, um, decking, cladding, all the beautiful, you know, framing timber that you can get. The paper is only made from the the poorer quality of the tree. The top half of the tree, sometimes there might be a little bit of the tree in the middle that's got some, you know, some scarring or whatnot. Um, yeah, it's really the poor quality timber gets turned mm. into pulp. 
And so people who, you know, this is their livelihood. These are the people who are making the decisions, the people who are on the ground. These are people who are very well educated a lot of the time. Like you'll have very well-trained, well-educated people as part of these forestry teams, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, generational, generational mm. knowledge. Um, yeah, most of them are minimum third-generation loggers. And we have some pretty great environmental laws in Australia and and in Victoria. And what does that mean when we ban our producing it here? So I guess someone has to produce it somewhere, right? Well, that's exactly right. We need to get that timber from somewhere because our, you know, we need paper. Well, where are we getting paper from now? We're going to be importing that from overseas. Um, And we don't know what happens overseas. We have a fair idea what happens overseas and it's not great. Mm. Um, There's definitely not those environmental standards that Australia has. Mm. um overseas so there's really one awesome thing that comes out of this and i can and i have to say we we have to uh, say this is an amazing thing we do get to pat ourselves on the back and say we did a great job exactly right (laughs) that's about the only good thing that's happening here because the way i see it and this is what johan from ambius told me the other day when we were talking about this we live on one world it's not um it's not like oh okay now we get to protect australia great no no no. it's one world guys that's right Exactly right. And so many people don't see outside their own backyard and they just see what they see on the internet and they believe they take that for gospel. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the clickbait, like it's a genius marketing move. I can see that. It's brilliant because it sounds awesome. We banned native logging. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, on that front too, a lot of, um, you know, coming up to the elections and everything like that, the Greens... Um, and act, and like the Greens Party and all the activists' parties and everything like that, they were really putting out um, misinterpreted information and, you know, photoshopping images and, you know, they might take a photo of a koala that's been killed. That would They had a, a prime example of that. There was a, um, a heap of koalas killed in on a private property and it was by the landowner, but these activists got these photos and they pinned that on native forestry. Well, it's not. it was nothing to do with Vic Forest. It was nothing to do with the native forestry. It was a landowner, a, a private yeah. entity that did that and native logging got the blame for it. So how do you compete with that? Because people, aren't, people see that and they see a cute animal that's being killed. Mm. They don't want to even think about talking to the people who are on the end of the chainsaw. Mm. Well, that's it. I think when people think about native logging, they think about a bunch of seven-foot blokes with five-foot chainsaws and a whole fleet of bobcats, and they yeah. just come in and strip the land like that cartoon Fern Gully, if you remember from the 90s yeah, with Robin right. Williams. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, definitely nothing like that. Maybe maybe uh, 100 years ago, <laughs> but uh, things have changed dramatically in the, in the new age, and um, everything is done completely different like you know they still have their their bulldozers and they still have their chainsaws but they use good equipment um you know and 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 that's another side to it too all this equipment that that these guys are using what are they going to do with that now they can't Mm. sell it because it's all specialized equipment so nobody's going to like you know they're out of pocket they're going to be massively out of pocket they've got these machines that they can't sell and they're going to be machines don't sit well if that makes sense um yeah if you park up a machine and then try and fire it up you know they might park it up now and then there'll be a big fire event come through and people say oh we need those bulldozers well sorry it's Mm. looking a bit tired out there it hasn't been 
ran. Not only that, the experience in the machines not up to scratch because they've been doing something else for the last mm. five years, you know. Um, and not and to add to that, um, how does a manufacturer of of machinery, you know, like you got your Tiger Cat, your John Deere, Komatsu, all those big um, manufacturers of forestry equipment, how do they develop their equipment to be better for the environment when they're taking out one section of forestry? Hmm. You can't improve in your hmm. manufacturing design if you don't have the machines to be improving it too. Hmm. If you've got no client base that's actually using them, you've got no feedback exactly on right. the machines. Absolutely. And you know what? In I, you know, as an outsider, I don't have to pay any of these costs. I'd almost be, okay, fine. Some people have to change their jobs. Some people are out of pocket, blah, blah, blah. If we were actually making a difference, it would almost be like, okay, well, you know, sacrifices have to be made. But I can't see that we're making any difference here other than that we get to pat ourselves on the back. That's right. Um, the the people who are like, you know, there's going to be 5,000 workers without a job. And that's directly and indirectly, but the, the, that's what they've come up with. 5,000 people are going to lose their job as of January 2024 because of mm. this announcement. Um, but where are they going to trend? Like, you know, how are we going to find 5,000 workers a job within six months? Mm. Um, well, the government has said that they're prioritising that. They said um, Dan Andrews, I don't remember exactly what he said, but yeah, it is a priority for them, they said. But what do you think that that means on the ground? Oh, that's Dan Andrews has said a lot of things. <laughs> Not much has gone through. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't believe I wouldn't believe anything that he has to say about timber workers. Um, you know, the the, um, the federal government said um, that they were going to support timber workers into this um into this term and look at what they look at what the federal government is doing they're, they're just taking dan andrew's side they're not stepping in and trying to help the timber workers hmm. um but what about that timber lobby that people talk about uh, don't you guys have like a fleet of lawyers that can sort of rush to your aid isn't that how it works oh i'm not too sure on that one <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure. Not that I've heard, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but that's the picture that's being painted. Is it sort of like this massive um, conglomerate of faceless people? You know, white men in in suits and who are lobbying this and lobbying that, like the tobacco industry or something. Yeah, no, nah, nothing, nothing of the likes on that one. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, oh dear, yes, it's um. It's, you know, it's just a when people people are going to really see the the turn in this, like, pe- you know, for the next year or so, people won't, people will still go about there every day not really noticing what's going on. But communities are going to break down. Um, you know, a lot of people from inner city Melbourne, outskirts of Melbourne, they love coming up out of, out of Melbourne on the weekends. They like going down the east coast of, uh, Victoria through Orbost and out to the side of Malakuta, or they like coming up through the middle and um, going up to the snow plains and everything like that. Well, all the little mm. towns that have nice little coffee shops along the way, where do you think they're going to go? Because yeah. you know they're the they're the the wives or the mums of the of the loggers. Um, if they've got to transition out of a job, you know, there's no raging industry up there for them to just mm. sector into. They're going to have to relocate. They're going to have to pull kids out of school. 
Um, they're going to, you know, so school numbers are going to dwindle. Um, there's going to be roads aren't going to be maintained. You know, you can go up some really nice bush tracks up here. Mm. Those bush tracks are not going to be opened up because, you know. There's no one to maintain them. There's no money in the town to fund it. Well, that's exactly right. It's really, I think of human beings, like we, our own culture is like an ecology. Like you can't just remove one um, stable part of a habitat and then think that everything's going to go on hunky-dory. No. No, that's exactly right. Exactly right. It's just, it's such a shame. Um, it's such a shame that, you know, the, the timber industry, the native timber industry is a small community, like 5,000 5, workers, that is a small industry but it's such a large industry at the same time it's a it's such a got such a flow-on effect um that people just don't understand they don't see that but they will understand it in in the next year or so well absolutely like even in the horticulture industry we've got tree stakes we've got you know um garden edging all sorts of products arbors let alone the construction industry let alone the carpentry we've got table makers all these sorts of things yeah it, it's not as simple as what people think. And no. I think that it's it's the clickbait, you know, society that we live in and it, it, we're thinking too simply. We're not actually taking a wider view. We all want to reach utopia tomorrow. Well, that's exactly right. And with that, look, you know, a couple of weeks ago I went down to a mill in Yarram, the radial timber mill, and I saw what they're doing and they are the world's only commercial radial timber mill. And they don't just take a log and cut it up and turn it into cladding and decking and stuff. The bark that comes off the trees gets sent to playgrounds. The sawdust that comes off the processing plant gets sent to chicken farms. So, Mm. you know, all these chicken farms are going to be like, well, hang on, we need sawdust for our chickens. Where are we going to get this from now? So is that going to be another, another thing that needs to be imported? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And like, and who knows what chemicals are on it? I mean, do well, they have the same testing regimes? Probably not. Well, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, Australia's quarantine laws are quite strict. I'll give them that. But what's mm. the chances of a, you know, a bug getting into the timber and, you know, bypassing security comes over here and then starts wiping out our timber from a, from a bug from overseas? You know, the bark beetle or something of the likes yeah. of that. Well, we've seen stuff like that happen before. Like, um, yeah, we have. We've got cankers and stuff like that that are just decimating, particularly the, um, oh, what are they called? It's just the canker one, um, cypress. Particularly yep. the cypress. Like, if you go out into rural areas, particularly in Victoria, they have these massive 10-metre, 20-metre tall, I don't know how tall they are, but massive big cypress um, windbreaks and they're all dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And now put that on a larger scale and you're going to have that through our forests. Mm. And like you say, we have great biosecurity laws. We have people like Dr. Ian Smith who's keeping us, you know, safe in Australia. He's a guest of our show and he also hosts the Bug Bite segment. Yep. He works in biosecurity these days. But if we increase the number of um, trees that we're importing, that increases the risk. Exactly right. It increases the risk. It increases, like, you know, the one thing that I can't understand is we've got native forests in Victoria supplying Victorian mills. Mm. Um, all within, you know, those truckloads, a, a truck might have a turnaround of, say, 300 kilometres. You know, that's a pretty short distance from from a tree that's been planted by hand, grown, cut down, sent to the mill, 
300 kilometers. Now we're going to be saying, all right, we're going to be getting either timber or products from thousands of kilometers overseas on a ship that's burning all this fossil fuel. Um, that's That can't be helping the environment. Um, like where's the sense in that? Absolutely. There's no sense. It doesn't seem like there's any sense to it. I think that there is a sense to wanting to preserve, um, you know, our bio uh, our biodiversity. There's sense in trying to preserve habitat. But we need to be thinking about that intelligently because we, that's not our only value as a society. We actually do have other values. And that leads me on to my next question nicely. How can native logging be sustainable? Well, it, well, it is sustainable. Um, they go into the bush, they cut down a tree, they replant that tree, it grows, absorbs carbon. All that carbon is then stored inside that tree. They go in another 50 years, they cut that tree down. Mm. It's not like a, the steel manufacturing where they dig a hole, get some iron ore out of the ground, and what do they do with that hole? Mm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not here to slag on the, the steel no, we industry. We need steel too. We need steel as well. But as far as the uh, the timber industry goes, you can't find, you, there is no better renewable timber uh renewable resource and you know a lot of the uh activists are saying you know oh they're logging old growth um forests well no they're not there may there may be one old growth tree within the area but they're not cutting that down mills can't handle that size wood we're not living in the the early 1900s anymore where it used to be go and cut the biggest tree and put it on the Mm. truck and you know you've it takes you a day to cut down one tree Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing of the likes of that anymore. So what you're talking about is you're coming in, removing one tree, opening up the canopy, then other plants take advantage of that. There's, um, you know, obviously habitat created on the ground. Just that little bit of light coming down helps this thing and helps that thing and then helps this thing. Well, that's exactly right. Obviously, these ecosystems are incredibly complex and to oversimplify it is just not going to help anybody. No, well, that's exactly right. And um, you know, when when they go in and they, they harvest a block, like you, we, if you go for a drive out and have a look at a, um, a native logging coop as it's being as it's being done, yeah, it's a bit of an eyesore. It doesn't look great. Like mm. you can see they're leaving trees, which is really good. But, you know, if you're looking at it, you, you think, oh, look, it doesn't look that great. Come back in six months' time. Everything's mm. green again. All the undergrowth starting to shoot up. Um, there's... You, see lots of animals, bird life, all of the likes, really enjoying the 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 fresh undergrowth that's coming up. Um, compare that to overseas in Southeast Asia or the likes, they clear the land, absolutely mm. decimate it. And they might replant. I'm not, I know there's a lot of spots where they don't replant over there, but they absolutely clear that land. They don't leave habitat trees. And these habitat trees, they're not only being left for the animals to, you know, survive in the area, they're being left to be future old growth trees. They're not, they're not um, leaving them there and saying, oh, yeah, we'll leave that, let that one grow and then we'll mm. cut it down once it's old growth. They're leaving that one to become an old growth tree. It might have some mm. hollows in it that some birds and possums and stuff might be able to use, so they'll leave that tree because if, a, if the tree's got a hollow in it, there's no point cutting that down and sending it to the mill. The mill's simply going to reject that. Absolutely. Look, when I first saw this um, article come up or this this um, law change come up on my LinkedIn feed, I saw more than one PhD person uh, who works with this um, sector 
sort of saying like, hey, you guys have oversimplified this. We're actually in there making a real difference. We're actually trying yeah. to preserve this stuff. What What do you think about the idea that nature will just, you know, just do its thing if if we leave now? Like, it does is that how nature works? Like, can you just come in, change things, introduce feral cats and introduce feral dogs and then just leave and everything's okay again? No, definitely not. Definitely not. The um, But it's, it's like, you know, you can say that we, you can say in a perfect world that could work, but it won't. Mm. Um, and, and bringing up the wild cats and the wild dogs, you know, a lot of um, native animals are actually killed by like your wild dogs, your wild cats. Um, and leading into that one is, you know, we don't do as much um, back burning as we used to do. Um, and it, it used to be like, you know, the Aboriginals used to do cool burns where we do hot burns when we back burn. Because mm. we get told, oh, you're only allowed to do this section here, and you've only got a month to do it. Um, whereas if you if you can do a cool burn, you're going to really cover more area. It's going to take a lot longer, and probably going to cost a bit more money to do so. But you're not going to be scorching the land. Um, mm. And so you've got all these, you know, like I said before, 94 percent of Victoria's native um, forests are protected. But a lot of them need a backburn because there's so much. There is so much undergrowth under them. A possum sitting in a tree or a koala sitting in a tree can't see what's on the ground. So mm. he's sitting in that tree and he goes, "Oh, yeah, I'll go down, have a little bit of a walk around." Goes down under the canopy and then the wild dog comes and gets it. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's, well, yeah, there's that side to it. Yeah, absolutely. Wild dogs are no joke, as I've seen on my parents' farm. Yeah. And they're only getting worse too. They, they're getting worse. Um, the deer population's getting worse. Um, mm. Like it's getting harder to um, be able to go out and, you know, remove deer from from the bush. Um, and, you know, it won't be long until, you know, these activists, the, like the Labor government, whatever, they're going to try and sway people away from doing deer hunting. Well, increased deer population, increased, mm. well, you know, a deer dies naturally. Dogs ate it, increased dog population. Yeah, um, yeah. It's gonna, you know, I've I've seen it in the even in the last sort of, or oh, I'd say six years, um, the deer population has like it has just tripled, mm. if not more. Um, it used to be you'd see one deer here and there. Now you see deer everywhere. Hmm. Yeah. Not good. No. So I think a lot of people. It comes back to that oversimplification thing again, doesn't it? Oh, it definitely does. Um, people have over, like, you know, they've looked too much into it. They're, they're trying to create something out of nothing. And, you know, they want to be the ones that said, oh, you know, we, we stopped native logging. We stopped, you know, we stopped mm. animals getting harmed. We stopped um, old growth timber being cut down. Well, old growth timber has been cut down in Victoria for couple of decades now um yeah it's just very very uh, gut-wrenching gut-wrenching this idea that um like I, I just want to touch on that again the, the idea that we can just leave nature and it's going to be fine i don't think that's the case as an environmentalist myself and i never really identified as that word because i associate it with sort of the more what what you're kind of talking about i guess like the the environmentalist um 
protesters and activists and stuff. I'm not. I'm just someone who loves the environment and I really care about it. Yep. I want to incentivize an industry that's there to actually look over it because I know that national parks aren't going to look after this stuff. I've seen national parks and they're not always looked after the best. We've got Lantana up north in my dad's farm. Like they back onto a national park and it's completely covered in Lantana. At least if we have an industry in there, it can be beholden to serving us environmentally. Well, exactly right. And, um, you know, we, we don't have an industry in there, um, you know, like I said, clearing out tracks, clearing out, um, putting in fire breaks and stuff. The next fire event that goes through is going to wipe out wipe out that environment. Mm. Um, you're not going to have the support. You're not going to have the, um, the knowledge of the land. You're not going to have people to go in there and replant. You're not going to have nurseries around that will have seedlings to be able to replant areas that have been incinerated. Mm. Um, the uh, do you know uh, the Black Spur just out of Melbourne in uh, near Black Hillsville? Spur. Yeah, the Black Spur. It's a it's a tourist drive. Um, it's right. sort of it's on the um, Maroondah Link Highway. Mar- uh, sorry, the Maroondah Highway, and it, it runs from Hillsville um, up to Benalla. And there's a a section just out of Hillsville called the Black Spur. Now that is like it's quite a rainforesty um, type of climate in there, beautiful mountain ash trees growing through there. Mm. All that was planted after the 1930-something fires and all that was planted to be harvested. But now it looks mm. good because it's got nice ferny undergrowth and it, you know, it's real pretty in pictures and people put that all over their Instagram and nah, we're not allowed to touch that now. Mm. So it's not actually a native forest. It's, it's not something a native that was forest. planted to be harvested. That was planted <laughs> to be harvested. And if you mm. very carefully, it's, a, it's not the one of the safest drives, but if you very carefully um, even pull over on the side of the road, I'd suggest, and look down, you can actually see the rows where those trees were planted um, mm. in, in rows to be harvested. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nature doesn't grow trees in rows. Mm. Now, look, I'm going to step out of my turn here. I really don't know enough about this to be talking about it, but I just wanted to touch on it because I don't like this idea that there's humans in the nature. I think humans are a part of nature and our human culture is an expression of nature. And Australia has always been managed, at least much of Australia has been managed by people. For the last tens of thousands of years, people have managed this landscape. It's not like the people who are the First Nations people. It's not like First Nations people just left, let the land go. They would actually no. cultivate it in their own way. They had their own methods of cultivation. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, they, they had their methods of, you know, they did the cool burns and they did the, like, like they harvested some of the timber for themselves to, like, you know, build shelter and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, exactly right. Humans have been in nature in Australia for tens of thousands of years. And now all of a sudden some people are saying, well, no, humans don't belong out there. Like how does that work? Yep, absolutely. So, look, I I want to now talk about one of the alternatives. So a lot of people would prefer us to grow timber in cultivation, kind of like what you've been talking about. Um, Is that realistic, not even just in the next six months to transition into fully like agroforestry, is it realistic in a sustainable long-term way for Australia to grow trees in cultivation? For this purpose, um, well, how do you mean by cultivation? Sorry. So, like agroforestry. So, like planting. Yeah, you're right. Cultivation is a problematic term, but planting and cutting them, like you plant them yourself in plantations. Oh yes. So, so you know that is it, it is sustainable, and it is you know it's going to be the way forwards to to manage that. But 
um, there's not enough, you know, plant. There's a lot of plantation in in um, Victoria. There's, um, you know, the the company that I we subcontract to HVP. They manage two hundred fifty thousand hectares of land. Um, about one hundred fifty thousand hectares of that is pine and eucalypt plantation. Majority of it now being pine. Um, and 50,000 hectares is actually native, but they don't harvest any of the native. They only look after it. Um, they, uh, it's, they're, they're, they're custodials of that land. Mm. Um, but to say that we're going to go fully plantation, we're going to need more plantations. But where do we mm. get this land from? You know, and the cost of land at the moment. Um, you know, I've heard in uh, one of your previous podcasts about um, planting trees on private properties and and farmers, um, you know, instead of farming cattle, they'll farm trees on their land. Well, that's good in theory, but how does that? How do they compete with market prices? And with the long, like it's a long term. You know, they plant a tree today; they're not going to see any profit out of that for the next twenty five to thirty years if it's a pine tree. Mm. Um, they might see a little bit of profit when they thin it, but you know that money that they make out of thinning it, they're going to put that money back into the plantation itself. You know, um, they've got to have a, a good road network going into it. There's plenty of people that have tried it in the past, and they've and you can see when you go for drives every now and then, you'll uh, especially in rural areas, you'll see a big patch of pine trees, and it's on the side of a hill because they've said, "Oh, well, that land's not getting used for anything. We'll put trees there," and then. You sort of look right. at it and you, you say, well, how are, they, them. Yeah, how are we going to get those trees down? <laughs> um, you know, how's a truck going to get in there and, and take the timber out? Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, the, yeah, the other side to it is is the market demand, you know, is the demand there? Well, it's not there at the moment. Um, mm. But well, it will be soon. It will, it will, it will, it will yeah, in six <laughs> months' time it will be, I guarantee you. Um, but, yeah, and that's what I was saying before about the, the increased pressure on other areas of the forestry sector, um, mm. you know. We... Where all of a sudden we're buying paper from overseas now, so that's putting more pressure on overseas, and then they're saying, "Oh, we don't care. We'll just, you know, mm. why about that bit of land? Yeah, um, just get it from South America. It's fine." Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> like, you know, what do these people expect? And it's sort of one of those things where, you know, if it's not in their backyard, they don't care about it. Mm. Um, as long as their backyard's fine, you know, happy days. But that's not how it works. That's not how society should work. No. Um, no. But yeah, like oh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good in theory, but um, practicality wise, probably not quite there yet. Mm, that's very interesting. So I was going to ask you about the um, the noise. I'm not sure if that's something that um, that you have any experience in because I, I don't think that you're like an ecologist or anything. So you might be the wrong yeah. person to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, like about the noise of, you know, um, well, I was gonna the, say, the machines in the bush and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, I'll just ask it. In order to cut down trees in virgin forests, you've got to make a lot of noise and you've got to cut out habitat that is that is being used, like no tree goes unused. So yeah. a lot of people are concerned about stuff like the greater gliders, which yeah. are actually under threat, as they say. So what would you say about that? Well, basically, um, you know, the Vic forests aren't actually cutting down virgin ground, so that sort of is doesn't come into play. Um, you know, if there's there's no virgin ground being harvested, it's all regenerated stuff from the early 1900s. 
So, But even still, there will be sugar gliders in that tree, whether or not you want it to be. There'll be a little hollow somewhere or there'll be a branch that something lives in you. Oh, it's inevitable. It's inevitable it, it, exactly that there'll be right. something living there. They're, they're, well, you'd hope so. Um, and with with those things living in, in that stand, that's what I was saying before, like they, they survey that land. They say, okay, there's something in here. Let's not harvest these tr- these sections of trees and let's let that live in that section of trees and we'll harvest around it or, you know, in those areas. And that's why I like it being done in Australia before it's overdone, before it's done overseas. Cause in Australia, at least look, you're going to get bad eggs in any industry. Obviously people are going to tick and flick and this, that, and the other, but at least in Australia, we take it a little bit more seriously. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't realise that forestry actually improves and um, uh, probably improves is the wrong word to use, but, you know, it um, really helps the native um, wildlife thrive. Um, you know, koalas were nearly extinct at one stage in Victoria and then we started planting all these blue gum plantations for, and all of a sudden koalas like living in blue gum plantations and they've really thrived. Um, we've lost a lot of koalas in wildfires but if um, if timber harvesting wasn't there, and and we we used the blue gum plantations for um, for copy paper, but you know without those plantations, the koalas would be really like you know they're already an endangered and threatened species. But mm. you know it'd be there'd probably probably be nothing. It'd be like the Tasmanian tiger at the moment. You know like it'd be completely extinct. Um, so without forestry. We koalas would be extinct or pretty close to it. Look, I'm, I've got a diploma in horticulture. I'm really not, this is not my specialty at all, but just as a civilian, just as a voter, what I want to see is an industry beholden to keeping our, you know, environmental ideals alive, that we have to, we're constantly going to be um, checking up and making sure that all the checks and balances check out. And I want to be very strict with that, but I want it to be done in Australia. That's exactly right. Uh, where mm. we can regulate it, where we can see what's actually happening. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'll um, just bring this one up. Uh, speaking of white copy paper, my son is 10 years old, nearly 11 years old, so he's quite young, and he was watching a um, thing on ABC with, uh, with government in the chambers and all that sort of stuff, and he goes, what are they reading off, Dad? And I was... <laughs> And I said, if you can pick that at 10 years old and they can't see that in their 30s, 40s, 50s, what does that tell you about our yeah. government? It's hilarious. Out of the mouth of babes. It's Absolute r- truth. It's, it's, oh, no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's funny, and um, you can go deeper than that too. Tell us about the support beams. Tell us about the joists. Tell us about oh, the, exactly right. the table. Exactly right. So what have we not talked about with regards to native logging today, Paul? Oh, we've touched on a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically I hope everybody understands what's going to happen now. Um, I hope they, you know, can really sort of understand how much of an impact this is going to have on not only Victoria but on on Australia. Um, you know, we're running into Victoria's in, in is broke. It's in debt, and we're shutting down a complete. We're shutting down one industry. You know, it's not. They're not shutting down the whole industry, but they're shutting down one section of forestry. Um, and you know, 
a lot of people are saying that you know Vic Forest hasn't turned a profit in however many years. Well, how do they turn a profit when they're always getting shut down um, by activists going in? You know, somebody goes in and steps foot on that coop, they're not allowed to keep harvesting. They've got to stop. Mm. They've got to cease work. Um, you know, they've got court injunctions on them. They haven't been able to harvest since November last year. So how do you make a profit out of that? Mm-hmm. But even if 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 Vic Forest doesn't turn a profit, if Vic Forest is a million dollars in in debt um, at the end of the financial year, one million dollars of debt in in government, or you know, the government's in debt of one million dollars. At least that money's been used in Australia. You know, that money's they haven't really lost a million dollars because that money's been put back into the economy anyway. Mm. But now they're really wiping that whole section out of the economy, um, and we're going to be sending all that money overseas, and we're going to be funding people overseas that are doing it wrong yeah and that's the issue it's the oversimplification yet again this seems to be my trigger i really get annoyed when people oversimplify things and make them sound like it's a utopia because when you actually go in and do the work it's not like how you think it is in your imagination when you're sitting at your keyboard yep that's exactly right yep Mm. okay so paul you mentioned about some of those images and stuff that People had, um, particularly the the um, the what are they called? The protesters, um, the, the environmental activists. So, yes. So the environmental activists had provided some, um, I guess you call them memes and you know, images and stuff like that that were not necessarily true. Can you tell me about what this war of memes is like? This culture war. Like, do you think that the logging community played well, or do you think they were outplayed? I think the logging community was definitely outplayed. Um, there wasn't a lot of people, there wasn't a lot of push from the forestry side, um, sort of demonstrating how well it is managed and how well it's done. It was sort of, they were copying all the blows and they didn't really know how to, you know, push it forwards of, well, no, it's not, that's not true. You know, um, mm. that's not how we do it. And, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff on my social media on Instagram and TikTok and, um, the, the push and the outreach that I get from that one video or photo is really good, but oh, I'm only one person um, mm. and I haven't seen a lot of other stuff on social media of people doing the same thing that I'm doing. So it be would have would have been good, but, you know, they can still do it. Um, if more people can sort of push that onto social media in a well-articulated way, um, mm. that would be great. And it's funny, I actually watched a vegan thing this morning. And look, it's a different subculture, I get it, probably some overlap there. But it's the the mentality of um, it's you're being blind to both arguments and just yelling your side again and again and again and again, and you hear the same arguments time and time again. Um, nothing against being an environmentalist, nothing against being a vegan. These are great things that all... Maybe not so. I don't necessarily think vegans a great thing, but it, you know, if that's good for you, great. But it's the the thing of like they'll they'll and this just astounded me. He, the post was uh, facts don't care about your feelings, and then he just presumed a bunch, and then he just went out with a bunch of emotional arguments. that had no facts against it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. and they and that's the whole thing. They let their emotions overtake what they're trying to say as well a lot of the time. Mm. And um, but they also use that argument against you because they're not actually being factual they just like the way that facts don't care about your feelings they like the way that sounds oh that's right and you know the the old (laughs) saying of the uh the squeaky wheel gets the oil um they're going to be the loudest squeaky wheel that they can be Mm. and do it and 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 do it in a way that's just plain wrong um you know they'll they'll misconstrued photos and videos and all this sort of stuff and 
uh, just to try and get a few extra votes and, you know, it's um yeah it's so it's so wrong but you know like you said you know everyone's entitled to their opinion um you know the world you know we're not all the same the world takes all sorts of people but we need to be able to listen to the other sides and actually filter out the uh the wrong and let the let the right facts and you know let that do Mm. the talking let the facts do the talking yeah we should understand that our beliefs happen inside of our imagination and that says a lot about <laughs> the value of our beliefs. <laughs> That's exactly right. No, definitely. <laughs> so, look, Paul, at the end of every episode, I always like to ask my guests one final question. It doesn't have to be on topic. It can be about anything you'd like. You can advocate for a change. You can plug a product or a service or basically can you can tell us about your skateboard trick you learned on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about? Um, oh, God. How deep can we go? <laughs> as deep as you want, mate. Tell us about your favourite conspiracy theory. I'm not part of any major networks. So I don't care. <laughs> no, well, basically, um, I just want the, the well, I want the listeners to know that um, the, the timber industry in Australia is one of the world's leading in quality, in um, forestry stewardship, in environmental aspects, um, and I just want want them all to know that Everything done in Australia is done to a high standard and it's not what you see on Fern Galley or the Lorax or anything <laughs> like that, um, you know, and we need more forestry. We need, you know, there needs to be more timber products because you, you can plant something, it absorbs carbon and that carbon's stored in that timber for the rest of the life of that, whatever that piece of timber is being used for. You know, and you the less get... far it has to travel, the better in terms oh, of exactly. carbon too. Absolutely, <laughs> shipping them from overseas. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and you know, give it five years' time, six years' time. You know, we're we're out of our wet. Uh, we you know we had five, four or five years of wet. Um, now we're heading into our dry section of uh, cycle of of the earth. And uh, mm. you know, watch out for those bushfires because there's not going to be anyone out there to help you um, put in fire breaks. Well, that's so true. Look, I have to say this is not a sponsored episode at all. Um, I'm, I, don't, I have no relationship with um, Victoria Forestries. I don't even know what the name is, Vic Forestry. Uh, Vic Forest, yeah. Yeah, not, not, not affiliated with anyone like that at all. It's just I think this is an important discussion that we need to have. Thank you Absolutely. so much for your time, Paul. No, no, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Obviously, protecting our native flora and fauna is one of our highest priorities as a society, and rightly so. The general public are fed up with seeing the environment left out of the conversation. But I want you to think critically and dig a little bit deeper whenever you hear people signalling their own virtue. If what they're saying seems too logical and obvious, take a moment to consider whether there's an opposing view that you need to pay attention to. Check the show notes to follow Paul on LinkedIn as the Aussie Logger, and for links to the job board I built, hortpeople.com, where you can find arboriculture, horticulture and landscape industry jobs.